The text for the sermon this afternoon is 1 Peter 3, the verses 15 and 16. Let's read those verses once again. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Thus far our text. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the question that comes to each and every one of us Every day as we go into this world as followers of Christ, as Christians, is how do we engage the world around us? How do we do that? We we live in the world, but we are not of the world. We're different than the world. And that relationship is a very difficult one. As we live in the midst of this world, we ask, how do we conduct ourselves? Now, the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter, was addressing a people who needed guidance on how to engage their world. Now, their world was different than ours. Christianity was relatively new. And they lived in a world that was full of different gods and different religions. Now, Peter's readers had come to know Christ and had come out of that pagan world. They had not seen Jesus, but they believed in him and they loved him. He was their hope and their joy. They had seen the emptiness that there is without God, without Christ, and the Holy Spirit had moved them to embrace Christ. But they were facing hard times. They were suffering for their confession in some way or form. And our text of this morning falls in the middle of a passage that is encouraging them to continue to do good in the face of suffering. Peter says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. He tells them to keep the faith even when challenged. Even as they are challenged to answer the question, why are you following this Jesus? What's this religion of yours all about? Now we live in a different world. But we share in the fact that we live with a people around us who do not really understand us or what we believe. They have a a general sense from limited exposure, but they know very little. In fact, today's world around us in North America has been called the unchurched. In fact, last week, Sunday, in the United States, it was National Back to Church Day. It was a recognition that the world around us consists largely of people who have been to church, who have heard the gospel, who may even consider themselves Christians, but they do not go to church. They do not know the full extent of the gospel. 
So in a sense, that is our world. They kind of know who we are, but not really. And we may even live with a bit of hostility because of that limited knowledge. They know enough about the faith to know that there are Christians who are hypocrites. To know that there are hard teachings that go against what secular society would like to see. And so we have to live with that hostility at times as we come up against issues, for instance, of family, of the place of fathers and mothers, as we come up to approaches to marriage, to sex, to sexual orientation. People may challenge us, push us on that. And how do we react to that? And how do we react to their genuine searching questions? When they genuinely want to know more about us and what we believe. How do we give an answer to why we follow Jesus? Why we put our hope in Christ? Do do we take that hope and do we guard it close? Do, Do we retreat into a place that limits our exposure to the world? And which blankets us in safety? That would be, of all things, most safe. But Peter tells his readers, and the Holy Spirit tells us today, to engage, to live our lives in this world. And then he gives us a three-part approach to that engagement. And that is what we have in our text. The first part speaks about Christ being in our hearts. As our anchor. And the second on what to say. And the third on on how to say it. And these words don't just speak to Peter's readers. They speak to us today. You could say this is the biblical model. For interaction with the world. And so I proclaim to you the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we have it in 1 Peter 3. The verses 15 and 16 under the following theme. As God's people we are called to engage our world. And we are to do so with Christ as our anchor, with Christ as our answer, and with Christ in our manner. So Christ is our anchor, our answer, and he is in our manner. So in the first place, let's look at how how Peter calls us To have Christ as our anchor. Now Peter speaks to his suffering readers. And he addresses what they're going through for the sake of Christ. And our text of this morning is really part of his giving encouragement. Peter's really telling his readers not to fear those who are opposed to them. Not to live with that fear dominating their hearts. And he gives them an alternative approach to living in the midst of this world. Instead of fear, Peter says, but rather in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. The remedy to their fear is, as one person has put it, to rivet Christ to their hearts. To rivet Him there. To have Him in their hearts. To have them as the anchor in their hearts. 
And that is the key to any type of engagement, any type of encounter with the world. Before we can really engage the world, as we encounter the world, we must look to our heart. What lives there? And what Peter literally says there is, but in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. And that's actually the same word that we have in the Lord's Prayer. There we have it as, hallowed be your name. So Peter is saying to us, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, take Christ as Lord and have Him in your hearts as holy. Set Him firmly in your minds, in your hearts, as who He really is. Think of who He is and what He has done. And hold Him in your hearts, knowing the love that He has shown for you. Behold His beauty and His majesty. Hold Him apart above all things. Lift your hearts on high to where He is with His Father. And realize that He holds you. And that He has made you right with God, with your Father. That you may have fellowship with God because of what Christ has done. Because of what He has done on the cross. So set your heart on that hope. On that hope and that joy that you have in Christ. Now what is more is that this is actually a quote from Isaiah 8 verse 13. There the Lord is speaking to Isaiah. Telling him not to fear. Telling him not to fear. What those around him fear. He says there, the verses 12 through 13, Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. You can see that in the verse just before our text. It says, Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. But what Peter has done, is he has connected the name of the Lord Jesus to Lord, to Yahweh. So what Peter is saying here is, the one you believe in, the one you love, rivet him to your heart. Have him as your anchor, as who he really is. God, the Lord. The one who is God, who was sent from God. The one who was sent to save the people of God from their sins. The one who is the Lord, who has paid the immeasurable price for our sins. The one who has immeasurable power and might. The one to whom all of history has looked. This Jesus Christ. He is the one that you belong to. And he is the one that is with you. Do not fear. Because he is with you. As we live in this world, we live as those who are connected to Christ. We live as, as Peter says, 2 verse 9, we live as that chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are chosen and precious to God in Christ. So as you go through this life, in your hearts, set apart, reverence Christ as Lord. Face the world as that people, that people who have Christ as their anchor.
And then Peter continues. He says there always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He calls his listeners, his readers, to have Christ in their answer. Now the word used here for give an answer in verse 15 is the word from which we get our English word apology. Now in Peter's time the word was used in in court settings but also in, in everyday speech, everyday interaction to refer to someone making a defense against a charge that was made to them. They may have been accused of something And they were to make their apology. To make their defense. And so Peter is saying to his readers, be ready to make that defense. To make that apology. That defense of the hope that you have. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 is the basis for what we call today apologetics. Any study of apologetics will refer to this verse. This is a field of theology that is devoted to making a defense of the faith. It's devoted to equipping believers to interact with the world around them. The world around them that says that the faith is false. That it is irrational. That it doesn't make sense. And for those of you who are familiar with apologetics, you'll have heard names like Ravi Zacharias, Lee Strobel, Cornelius Ventil, or John Framer, or many others. And these are men who have shown that the faith is rational, and that it can stand the assaults of philosophers, of liberal theologians who, who say that the faith is, is just an emotional inward thing that doesn't have any connection to reality to those who say there is no truth these men have shown there is truth we can see it it's a wonderful thing for us to have as we make our defense they're basically telling us that we don't have to be afraid or embarrassed about what we believe And I think that sometimes we are afraid. We are comfortable with what we believe, but we don't want to test it. Because in our hearts, we're not sure if the beliefs, if the faith will stand up. Or we're concerned that we won't be able to stand up. Well, I'm here to tell you that the beliefs do stand up. They have stood up for thousands of years. What's remarkable is the last 200 years has seen an all-out assault on the Word of God from within Christianity. And the Word of God stands still. The beliefs stand up. The question of whether or not we are able to stand up is another question. And and that is the question that Peter is addressing to his readers. He's telling them, be prepared to stand up. 
When people confront them about what they believe, they are to have ready an answer that gives a reason that could speak to that person. We need to be ready. Not just with an emotion. Not just with some vague description of what we believe. But with a reason. We have have a rational faith. We have an intelligent faith. And we are called to articulate that as we are able. Now that doesn't mean we all have to be theologians. That doesn't mean that we have to read every book we can find on apologetics. But we should be able to give an answer to why we serve Jesus Christ. Why we serve the Lord. Why we have such hope and joy in Him. For our younger brothers and sisters, boys and girls, also to the teenagers among us, to those who are getting close to doing their public profession of faith, those who are in catechism classes, this is why your parents instruct you. This is why they teach you about the Lord. This is why they they send you to school, to a Christian school. This is why they have you go to catechism, why they have you learn more and more about the Lord. They promise to do that at their baptism, to teach you about the Lord, to teach you about the hope that you have in Christ, and to have you make that your own. And as you grow older, you will be called to to step out on your own. To step out and say, yes, I put my hope and my faith in Christ. That hope is mine. That hope is not my parents. That hope is mine. So as you grow up in the faith, don't, don't simply cling to your parents. Especially as you get older, don't simply say, my parents believe this, my parents told me this, or my church says this. No, reflect, reflect on what you believe. Make it your own. Have Christ as your anchor. And then go forward confident of what you believe, confident in Christ, confident in your hope, confident as you engage the world around you. Now, now it's interesting that Peter tells his readers to engage. It would have been so much safer to retreat. It would have been so much safer to, to find a place where you didn't have to say, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ, my hope is in Christ. Where you could have behaviors that did not set you apart as different from the world. But Peter tells them to engage. What that tells us is that we are to care about the world around us. If we were to show no concern for the world around us, then we would have been called to retreat into some type of commune. Some type of secret society. 
We would, we would keep the hope to ourselves. But nowhere does scripture tell us to do that. In our text, we are called to be out there in the world as who we are, as those who belong to Christ. And we're to share the hope that we have in Christ in the face of questions. And so what is your hope? Are you ready to answer that question? Why do you put your faith and hope in Christ? Do you see the wonder of what God has done in Christ? The answer that Peter gives in 1 Peter looks to what God has done, what he is doing and what he will do in Christ. It looks to the glorious inheritance that we have in heaven with Christ. It is, it is the sure hope of new life in Christ through the forgiveness of sins. So what we can say to our neighbors when they ask us is that we can say to them, God is, and God has let us know that He is. He is there and He speaks to us. He reveals Himself to us in His Word. He has given us His Word. He speaks to us here. That is incredible. He speaks to us. He lets us know what He has done. He lets us know who we are, what we have done. He lets us know what He is doing right now, what He has done through all history as He saves us for Himself. He lets us know that sin ruined His good creation. He lets us know that He is in work. So we can say, my hope is founded in Christ. My hope is founded in knowing that I am part of that people of God. That I am part of a people belonging to God. He called me out of darkness into His light. I am part of a people who have been made right before God through Christ. And we can say, I have tasted that the Lord is good. And I long to be filled with Him. That is the reason for my hope. That is the reason for your hope. That is what scripture says to us. That is what we have. It belongs to you. Respond to that. Make it your own. Do not turn away from it. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. No, arm yourself with that hope and with that joy. And then enter the arena and face the world as the people of God. And what is that arena? What is the battlefield? It could be the street outside your home. It could be your office. It could be your job site. It could be your classroom, your university. It could be the cubicle next to you in your office. It's anywhere where you interact with the world around you. And as you live in that world, let people know you. Let them get to know you. And live before them as who you are, as someone who is part of the people of God. And when you do that, questions will come.
There might even be challenges. There might be questions, now why do you do that? Why do you believe all this about Christ? Why do you think that you have the only true religion? Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ. Or it might be a simple question. How was your weekend? We often are not prepared, not at the ready, to include Sunday in that answer. Not not prepared to include what we did on Sunday. We will say something about Friday night and Saturday, but we leave Sunday and worship with the people of God out of our answer. So when you get asked, what did you do this weekend? You can say, unapologetically, I had a great time on Sunday. I went to church. We prayed. I heard a Christ-centered sermon that really fed me, that really spoke to me about the good news that I have in Christ. And we sang, and we had a great time of fellowship. There, you've put it out there. You have let them know what you did this weekend. You're not hiding. You're not afraid. You're not pushing it on them. You're simply letting them know what you did. You've engaged. You have Christ in your heart as your anchor. And you're living in the world as one who declares the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And what happens next? Will probably be another question. Or it may be indifference. Or it may be mocking. It may involve a why or a why not. Or a how. Be prepared to give an answer. To make your defense for the hope that you have in Christ and why you live out of that hope. And there's a word of warning here too. This is not some type of new legalism. We can see that as we, we look at different movements within the church at large. Being a good Christian is about how many people you have witnessed to today. It's about giving your testimony. This is not about having some checklist of of things that you have done today for the Lord. No, this this is about having that hope in your heart. It's about living out of that hope. It's about loving God, realizing everything that God has done. That He is, that He has spoken, that He has redeemed you, that He renews you. And then you, you live out of that love. It defines you. And you speak out of that love naturally. Letting people know who you are. Being prepared to express that. It's about knowing what God has done in this world through His Son, Jesus Christ. And wanting to live for Him, regardless of the cost. And to let others know by the way you live and by what you confess, that Christ is King. Now, one of the challenges 
that we face as we bring our answer, as we make our defense, is that we leave Christ out of our manner. That brings us to our final point. What happens is that we are able to bring a convincing answer. We can have the person understand the rightness of our position, but we do it in such a way that they hate us. And we've all seen it. It doesn't just happen with religious conversations, with discussions around faith. We have it with politics or with business. Someone who presents their case and who is right... but who does it in such a way that you can't stand them at the end of the conversation. They lack tact, they lack, they lack social intelligence, they lack gentleness and respect. They do not speak the truth in love. Now, a number of years ago, I saw a video that displayed this. There were a couple of Mormon missionaries on bicycles. You know the the young men that often come to the houses, black pants, white shirt, and tie. So they're doing their work of evangelism. Now these two young men were in a parking lot of some sort, and they began to speak to someone, and that person turned out to have an incredible amount of Bible knowledge, an incredible amount of knowledge about what they believed. And he absolutely destroyed them. They didn't know what hit them. He he was quoting scripture passages from memory and he, he was cornering them with their own arguments. You could tell that the parking lot was that was the last place they wanted to be. But he most certainly was not gentle. He was right, and he proved it from scripture. But he did not do it with love. His words were not filled with grace. It was a, it was a gotcha moment. The fact that it was videotaped suggests that, that he had set it up. And I confess, as I watched it, I was laughing with him. But I shouldn't have been. It did nothing for those young men. This was not about convincing them of the rightness of the gospel, of having them come to Christ. This was about showing that he was right and they were wrong. He engaged them with the word of God. He engaged them with the good news of who Jesus Christ is, who Jesus Christ really is. But he did not engage them in his manner. And that is such a great temptation for us all to experience that wonderful joy of being right. And that is why Peter adds in verse 15, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. As we engage this world around us, we we have to have Christ in our manner. Peter calls us to be gentle to the person we are speaking to and to honor God in our manner. We are to have a clear conscience before God regarding the way in which we interact with the world, regarding the way in which we engage. Love for God and the neighbor should season our speech. 
How, how can you speak of the love of Christ with a way of speaking that displays a complete lack of love for the person in front of you? Now, there is a time for anger. There is a time for sharp arguments. There is a time for cornering people with their arguments. But not in the presentation of the gospel to those who we come into contact with. Peter here in our text states what Paul says in Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6. There he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So what Paul's saying here is, he's not giving a picture of someone who has no idea on how to interact with the world around him, or someone who only knows how to interact with those of the faith. Now this is someone who knows how to interact in such a way that those around him in the world can understand what he's saying and can be won over to Christ by what they're saying. It doesn't mean that they will. But we are called to engage them in a way that reflects Christ in our man. That's what Peter's saying in our text as well. We represent God as we go into this world. We are a holy priesthood. We are God's representatives in this world. And when we declare the glory of God, we must do so in a way that shines forth for Christ. And then Peter gives the reason for this God-honoring manner. He says, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now he's saying, what he's saying here is, is, do this and do not fear. Do this knowing that God will make all things right. If you are ignored, if you are maligned, if you are slandered or verbally abused, abused things will be made right by God. Let me explain that further. In 1 Peter, the epistle of 1 Peter, we can see two sides to the reason for having a Christ-centered manner. Now the first has to do with the effect that it will have on those around us. In 1 Peter 3, verse 1, Peter says, Be submissive. He's talking to wives. Be submissive to your husband so that... If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So so there is an aspect to our behavior that wins people over to Christ. We engage them with the hope that they will be won for Christ. That they will be moved to ask us about Christ and that they will come to Christ. We genuinely care about the neighbor. So there is a calling in 1 Peter to care about our neighbors and to care enough about them to give a Christ-filled answer in a Christ-like way. But here in our text, Peter has in mind something a little different. He has in mind the end of time. When a person hears the gospel, hears the good answer, when they see the Christ-centered way of life and the Christ-centered manner, and they reject it or mock it, they will have to answer 
to God. They will have to answer for that. They will be shamed. Now the shame in our text is not like the shame that we think of today. Some type of emotion. Like an embarrassment because we slipped up when we said something. No, in that culture, shame was something real. Something strong. Something that was life-impacting. Shame spoke to defeat. You see it in the, in the Psalms, especially. The psalmist asked God to shame his enemies. He doesn't mean that he wants God to make his enemies blush. Or stammer when they stand before him. No, it speaks to their defeat. So those who reject the faith, those who, who mock us, God will shame them in the end. So we are not to shame them. God will do that. They will have to give an answer for their rejection of the hope that you have. We are simply called to put our hope in Christ. To hold on to that hope. And to defend that hope. And to live in line with that hope that we have in Christ. So do not fear your neighbors. Engage them. Live out your hope in front of them. Shine forth the hope that you have in Christ. And be prepared to give an answer. May God equip you by His Holy Spirit that you may hold Christ dear. That you may see Him in all His glory. That you may see everything that He is and everything that He has done. You may see how God has acted out of His great love towards you. And may He equip you as you live life in the arena, in the world. And may He equip you to engage this world giving the good answer and making the good confession. Amen. Let us now respond to the proclamation of the word by singing hymn 36, the verses 1 through 4.